0: Oh, mm-hmm. Smith, And this is more than one lesson. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And once again, thank you for your patience as far as uh, episodes being posted or more specifically not being posted. Uh, I do appreciate it. And I wanted to assure you that we've got several episodes coming up in the next few weeks that have already been recorded. So don't you worry. Stay tuned. We're going to be talking about all kinds of things and starting a new mini series. Uh, but before we get started uh, today, I wanted to remind everybody that this episode is brought to you by Faith Life TV, which is a streaming service uh, that features uh, documentaries, sermons, short series uh, and even the occasional little uh, music video. So it has a lot of resources for uh, Christian audiences. And so what you can do is go to Faith Life TV or go to morethanonelesson.com, click on the ad for Faith Life TV, and you'll get your first month for free. After that, its four ninety nine a month, and you can watch it on your Apple TV, your computer, your phone, uh, lots of options as far as how to engage with Faith Life TV And I wanted to thank them, uh, as always, for their sponsorship of the show. All right so uh oh actually hang on one more thing i want to remind everybody that uh the video essay that i've been mentioning uh for a while about jurassic world is finally posted uh it's a function of bp but i will post it on this website as well so uh, it's about 21 minutes long i'm actually very proud of it so check that out when you get the chance all right enough of that we have a guest and i'm very excited (laughs) I can't quite tell what he's doing right now. He seems to be meditating or furious. I can't tell. But uh but yeah, he's uh he's an actor and a comedian. Uh he was most recently maybe not most recently, but most notably in the film Tanya*, and he is going to be in uh, Spike Lee's Black Klansman. It is Paul Walter Walter Hauser.
1: Hey, it's me, Paul Walker. Haus How's Hausler. What was, what was, what, how'd you say it? Paul Walter Hauser. Is it Hauser? Bam! Okay. That's the name. It's um, yeah, that's it. No, you said it okay. right. Thanks for the introduction. Oh, it's it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for being here. This is very exciting. I'm very excited. I walked in this room, and I don't know how many, I don't know how much. Uh, I don't want to air your laundry or anything, but the walls are painted in uh, pieces of memorabilia and quite a DVD collection. So for me, just walking in, I felt very at home with my <laughs> own uh, machination of film. Uh, Euphoria and Peter Pan syndrome.
0: Yeah, that's probably about right. Uh, this is the one thing keeping me keeping me young. It certainly <laughs> isn't the white hairs in my beard. Awesome. Um, but uh, do you collect anything? I do. Okay, what I do you do. collect?
1: I uh, well, I collected DVDs qu- for quite a while. I think I had about maybe two hundred and sixty or two hundred and seventy DVDs, and then I, in the summer of two thousand and nine, sold like a hundred of them trying to make money to move to Los Angeles. Hmm. And, uh, and then I ended up booking a part in a film, which gave me plenty of money and I didn't have to have sold all those DVDs. And it was very sad. So I still have a collection. I've probably yeah. got about 200 DVDs and I also collect WWE action figures. That's right. Okay. I started
0: following fans. you on Twitter and I saw that that's okay, a big I part of your in life. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Uh, yeah, I really like, uh, the WWE and wrestling, uh, products in general. And then, uh, I also collect mugs. I have a dream to open up my own cafe and I want to, the mugs I want to use in my cafe are going to be ones from like three decades of my life when I finally open it up. All right. That'd be cool. So you got, you got it all worked out. Well, we'll see. You know what they say, right? You want to make God laugh. Make a plan. I can't quite tell what character this is, but that's all right. That's me making fun of my <laughs> own beliefs. Um, no, yeah, no, it's, uh, I have a lot of things I want to do that I kind of, people People have that thing. What is that thing? Is it called the secret where you manifest by way That's of, the one. I don't really, I don't, what's, what's the word? I don't really uh, prescribe to that. Sure. But at the same time, not prescribed, subscribe. subscribe, thank you, I don't really subscribe to that, but at the same time, I have said things that I've kind of like said in faith aloud sure and and many of them end up happening so yeah. or or I'll think it consistently, and then there are those like light bulb moments where God ends up uh, allowing things to happen that I've been pondering very very specifically
0: there have been times, yes when for myself, like, obviously there are some things that uh, have not happened and some things that have, as as is the case with everybody else, but there have been times when yes, God allows things to unfold in such a way that it starts to almost feel ridiculous where it's just like, you really don't have like, yes. Okay. I, I I've been accepted to you. Like this was a couple years ago. I was accepted to UCLA for the master's program, which I just finished, but it's like, that's very exciting. And it's like, okay, but what are we going to do about transportation? Do I take the car? Like what's public transit? It's like, Oh, there's a, there's a bus that'll drop. that will pick me up basically right at my house and drop me off at the film building. And she's like, that's not even necessary. You didn't even need to do that. <laughs> yeah. It's over the but top, but it's ju- but it just, it's a nice, it's a nice help. God there's forbid some... I do too much walking. <laughs> yeah. Right. Same. My gosh. God really
1: loved me. He made me walk 17 miles everywhere I go. Um, no, I, I, I think, uh, and I've impressed this upon people that I talk to is, is your relationship with God is usually only the, the ceiling is only as low as you make it Hmm. and, um, and how you engage God and what your expectations are and what you ask of him is usually predicated on belief. And if you believe that that bus or van can just show up and take Hmm. you to the film building from North Hills or wherever, um, it's a credit to God. It's not just your own supposed lethargy. It's the idea that you believe really great things can happen. It's not like you're a frustrated child stomping around when it doesn't happen. Right. But you're asking that of God, which is cool.
0: And I think kind of sort of expanding your expanding one's definition of like, God's work in your life. You know, it's one of my favorite lines from Pulp Fiction it goes, you know, it could be like turning Coke to Pepsi or finding my car keys. You know, it could be any number of things that things Is go that
1: a line from Pulp Fiction.
0: Yeah. When he's talking about miracles and that, uh,
1: Oh, you know. okay.
0: Yeah. So one of the lesser known lines
1: I had to like, read, <laughs> scramble my brain a little bit.
0: There. It was the changing Coke to Pepsi. And I just like, that's brilliant. Like if, if God just did that from time to time, just to screw with people, oh, just, sure just to see if he, if we noticed, um, but yeah, but to go back to the thing that you said like, you know, if you want to what is it? If you want to make God laugh, like, tell you know, him tell him, him your plans. And it's like, can you make God sound any more sadistic? <laughs> and just like, what is he? Loki, the god of mischief, where it's like, "Oh, you've got a plan, do you?"
1: It's um, uh, it's um, you know what it is? It's like uh, joyfully humbling.
0: That is uh, th- that is how I would choose to take it. Yes. Yeah, that's how I take um, it. Um but, uh, but yeah, so, okay. Now you mentioned you moved to Los Angeles in 2009. I did. Um, where did you move from?
1: I lived in Saginaw, Michigan, which is near Flint, Michigan. Okay. It's probably a two hour drive north of Detroit. And, um, I booked a film called Virginia with Jennifer Connelly and how's she doing? As far as I know, she's doing well. I <laughs> hope oh, she got out of that labyrinth. Um, <laughs> which I haven't seen by the way. A lot of people scold me for that. It's very good. I haven't seen Labyrinth um I, I so I showed up to be a background actor at this audition for this movie Virginia mm-hmm. and the writer director Lance Black Dustin Lance black had just won the Oscar for writing Mill oh wow okay and they had Jennifer and Ed Harris and Ed Harris's wife Amy Madigan and all these people attached and I showed up to be a background actor, but I saw Lance Black there and I walked up to him and I said, Hey, I just want to say congratulations on the Academy Award win. And, uh, I'm a Christian. And when you said, God doesn't hate gay people in your speech, it meant a lot to me because I believe the same. And, mm-hmm. uh, I thought that was really nice. And he said, well, what, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like, Oh, I have no authority to talk to you right
0: now. Sorry about no, that.
1: But that's also, I've always lived my life. I kind of yeah. don't really care who anyone is. Yeah. Um, because I see us all as equals, but, um, but so I walked up to him and just told him that, and he wrote my name down and said, "We're going to have you come back for an audition." Mm. And I was like, "Cool." And uh, I, I thought maybe it'd be like, "Hey, we'll let you play the gas pumper, and you'll you'll have right. two or three lines with you point to something and tell Jennifer Connolly like two miles that way." I'm like I thought it'd be that. <laughs> he brought me back for like the sixth, the fifth or sixth lead in the film, mm. the best friend of Connolly's son who was played by this wonderful Aussie actor, Harrison Gilbertson. So I went back and all the locals were just locals. They weren't like actor yeah. actors. And I was like, Oh, Oh, I I might have a shot at this. Yeah. So I took it super serious and had two auditions and booked this great role in this film that did not do well, but I got to work with amazing people sure. and Toby Jones and Jennifer Connelly and Emma Roberts. And I love Toby Jones. Oh, he's great. A good human to normal, just a normal dude. Yeah. Um, And I ended up moving to L.A. with like $8,000 instead of moving with like 40 bucks or whatever I was going to (laughs) move with. And that was a very very overly gracious, you want to talk about God, I feel like it was such an overly gracious, cozy entrance into Hollywood. Yeah. And then I did not honor it near enough. And I ended (laughs) up a year, year and a half later running out of money uh, after partying quite a bit and being done with my money, and I had to move home to Michigan again.
0: Oh, wow. And then, so then, when did you come back? When did you come to L.A. the second time? Well, I'd already booked, like, in that
1: 14-month span I was here, I I booked, like, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I booked a CBS pilot presentation with Larry Charles, who did Borat and Mm -hmm. Seinfeld and stuff. I did all this cool stuff, but um, I didn't have a lot of money. I was just paycheck to paycheck. And then... I came back, I left, I think I left April of 2011 and I came, I came back January, 2013. Okay. So I've been back a little over five years now, which is, okay. you know, I definitely learned my lessons and yeah. have been better with all things. And, uh, and I'm here to stay is the assumption.
0: We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, we'll check in in, the, in a, in a year. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm sure that, uh, if you don't mind me asking how, uh, how old are you? I'm thirty one. Thirty one. Okay, yeah. So, so mathematically, yeah, you got eight grand when you were like twenty, twenty one ish. I was, I was, no, I was, I had just turned twenty three, and I had like, okay.
1: By the way, I made like ten grand. I blew through about fifteen hundred of it over the course of like a month and a half, just like having fun and yeah, and buying people Christmas <laughs> presents and you know, exactly. like like buying a round of drinks and so. Like, I was being generous too, but it was. You know, I, I left with like 8,500, I think, November of 20, 2009. Mm-hmm. And that money, that 8,500 lasted till about April of 2010. So it lasted about four and a half months or yeah. something. And then kaput.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, I feel like if I were, if I suddenly came across, like, oh, eight grand at age 23 for me would have been like, I'm, I'm a millionaire. Yes. I recognize uh, I didn't just use the word oh, million, yeah. but no, oh, it's th- so exciting. I thought I was, and I'm by, and you know, looking
1: at it again, you know, Four and a half months of $8,500, that's actually kind of par for the course for Los Angeles. I don't mm-hmm. know why I lambast myself as if I was doing cocaine. I wasn't. I, I, was, mm-hmm. I was drinking Budweiser and eating frozen pizzas and playing <laughs> video games with my roommate. And I was, I was just yeah. being a child, I was being a man child yeah. and going to auditions here and there. But, you know, a more sensible, collected version of me would have gotten a day job immediately mm-hmm. and had that as a reserve, which, you know, if I could
0: do it over again, I would. Sure.
1: I say that, but then again, it's like, you know, would you change anything if you like your
0: life now? You know, I don't know. That's, that's a, that's a good point. Yeah. And, uh, and day jobs are no fun. <laughs> that's the other thing. I've had a bunch of them. Yeah. I've had a bunch. Yeah. It's, uh, at the moment yeah. I am, uh, driving for Lyft, uh, oh, these yeah. days, um, while I look for uh, teaching work, trying to put that degree oh, to work. Man, and, man. um, And despite the, I I am going to have a job in, I guess by the time, yeah, in July, um, teaching you manifesting exactly. Yes. Uh, exactly. I don't have anything lined up, but I'm saying I'm going to have one by July. (laughs) I will, Uh, but yeah, I'll be teaching film history to high schoolers at a summer camp.
1: Okay. And awesome.
0: So, which sounds kind of exciting to me. Sounds very fun. Um, I like yeah. kids in
1: film. That'd
0: be awesome. Yeah. And, and I remember what it was to be a high schooler into film and like yes. you just drinking it in. And I, 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 like the idea of being able to do that, uh, for somebody, but, uh, but yeah, driving for Lyft right now, it's, I got a lot of fun stories, of a few sad ones. Mm-hmm. When you drive, uh, in Los Angeles at night for Lyft, You're going to get some people that get in your car and burst out crying immediately. It is a very sad tears and phone calls home. And (laughs) oh, I left my credit card at the bar
1: and vomiting and sexual encounters. I mean, it's probably a hodgepodge.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. You got, you nailed it. You got them all. Um, I've been in half those scenarios, (laughs) so I understand. Um, but yeah, so, okay. So you came out here and, Came let's let, here, let's fumbled let's the ball. Yeah. And then you came back.
1: Yeah. Came and back so what, what have you been 2013? up to since then? You, you want to recap on the last five years, Tyler? Yes. You hear me almost going to my Paul Giamatti. Impression I, it it just was, was a little. <laughs> you, uh, apparently you want to hear all about me working on the show. Billions. Uh, it almost sounded like my Jay Baruchel impression, which is, this is my Jay Baruchel. It's, uh, I am friends with Seth Rogen and Chadapatow. Yes, <laughs> I know those guys. And then this is my Seth Rogen. <clears throat> um I haven't spoken to Jay in weeks. <clears throat> this and is like, fun. I'm, I'm enjoying sorry, I'm this. I'm going to nail all these. What stuff. else you, what else you got? Christoph Waltz is uh when I was working with Quentin Tarantino, uh, that's that's all I have for him all and right. then I have um Willem Dafoe, which is I think uh <laughs> I got a call from Sam Raimi trying to get me in his next film, but I wouldn't do it because I didn't like him anymore. Um, that's me trying that. Um, okay. No, I last five years has been, but I feel like they got worse and worse. What's my really good impression. I used to have like a bunch cause my dream was to be on Saturday night live. So I hmm. used to in the mirror, I'd spend 30, 40 minutes doing like faces and impressions. <laughs> Everybody can do like Chris Walken and yeah. Owen Wilson. There's like a few go-tos. Yeah. Owen Wilson is like, uh, yeah, I got a call from Wes Anderson. He said, Hey, wow. It'd be great to have you in my next film. <laughs> Vince. Oh, I was where I was doing a Vince Vaughn the other day where I was trying to do him in like swingers where he's like, Hey, everybody, come on. We're having a party. Bring your friends. <laughs> um, that's all I got. The last five years has been crazy. I've worked every job imaginable. I worked at a, uh, a circus show in, that was in Burbank called uh, Cavalia Odyssey. Oh, that thing. Yeah. Where I've never been there. Where uh, horses majestical things. And, yeah. Uh, I worked there and uh, was like a doorman and a check-in guy and did security. And then I worked at Five Guys Burgers and Fries in Studio City off Ventura uh, I worked at a barbecue restaurant in Hollywood next to the Arc Light hmm. And I would like literally stand out and give free samples of food and like talk to celebrities coming by trying to entertain them or get their attention because hmm. I was this needy, sad person who didn't want to be in a day job. <laughs> uh, I worked at Flappers Comedy Club in Burbank. Oh, yeah. and, uh, and that was a nice job for a while until it wasn't. But it was good because uh, good I was doing stand-up at the time. So it was hmm. fun to be there. But the cool things were like, you know, getting this show kingdom. I, I was I had a really sad morning. I think it was April of 2014 maybe. That sounds right. April 2014. I was working at 5 Guys in Studio City and I was in an apartment built a, a two bedroom apartment with four people. Hmm. And I had no money and I was kind of depressed and just depleted and I had a morning where I was in my bathroom crying and I sat on the floor and just said, "God, if you want me to like be a pastor or a teacher or a missionary, if you want me to do some like mission mission work, mm-hmm. I'll go do it. If it means I'll be used by you, you'll be proud of me and I won't have to like feel like a reject." I just wanted to kind of wanted to quit. And that morning I went to the audition for this show that at the time was called Navy Street and then it was called Kingdom, mm-hmm. and it's about MMA fighters and I had Frank Grillo and Nick Jonas and Jonathan Tucker and mm-hmm. all these people and I booked a small co-star it was supposed to be two episodes. And then I showed up and improvised and did a bunch of weird, like heady sort of character work. <laughs> I was kind of doing almost method acting stuff. And they wrote me into seven out of 10 of the episodes of season one. And then those seven turned into, I think I did 25 episodes of that. So that show, that was what changed my life and really kept me on track and allowed yeah. me to quit my day jobs and kind of just be a working actor for a while.
0: Were you, were you encouraged to improvise or did you just choose to? I just choose to on everything I do. Okay. Is that, have you ever been met with uh, maybe not hostility, but people saying yes. like, that is not what you are supposed oh, yeah. to be doing. Okay. Yeah. And
1: I tell them what I tell everyone. You can, there's 9 million fat guys who went to theater school. You don't need me. I'm not telling, I'll never tell anybody they need me cause they don't. Um, But if you want me, this is what you're probably going to get. I'm not going to throw the script away. It's not like I'm wiping my bottom with the screenplay. I'm not being disrespectful. But uh, if you have it on take two, then let's go somewhere else. Sure, Sure. Let's give the editor something to play with. Or Hmm. let me give you the one little bit or piece that might end up being in the trailer because it's a little bit that tells a piece of the story and makes somebody laugh. And that's usually what happens is Hmm. nine out of ten times they end up using uh, a handful of things I made up and that's not an arrogant it's what it is is it's confidence you know who you are as a performer so you give you say you know if if you are in the market for fast food that isn't going to put you in an early grave go to chipotle sure that's kind of the go to subway (laughs) whatever that is right and i'm just saying like this is how i market myself creatively i suppose
0: hmm yeah uh which i which i do like on i don't know if not that i'm an actor or anything but uh I don't know if I would ever have the confidence to just go off script, uh, especially in, in something where like it was two episodes, like, yeah, as you said, like, well, I'm not needed, but maybe that provides a certain degree of freedom. Like they don't need me. So I'm just going to do this anyway. Maybe I'll become more necessary if I do it.
1: That was kind of my attitude. I think
0: without being overly strategic, it was me saying
1: I'm going to make the most of this small part. And it wasn't make the most like, look at me, look at me, look at me. Yeah. But it was, it was definitely me trying to like honor the material and really give it something. Cause uh, And by the way, I think that's sort of a mainstay in film and TV. There are people mm-hmm. that did something small but did that small thing well, mm-hmm. and it snowballed into whatever.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. And Jonah they, Hill and 40-Year-Old Virgin had that little yeah. moment with Catherine Keener, and it was quite effective for being a little moment. I think that yeah. sparked everyone to want to involve him in the comedy community.
0: And he's, you know, two time Oscar nominee now, which I don't yeah, think anybody would have it. predicted wild. Um, he's great. Yeah. Moneyball, one of my favorite movies the last several years. Oh, nice. Um, but, uh, kingdom is a drama, I assume. It is. Um, so from an improvisational standpoint, like people, when they think of improv, they think of comedy. So how does one go about improvising in a drama or did you, did you kind of make things more comedic or did you just kind of riff on the character?
1: It was comedic, but it came from a real place. It wasn't comedy for comedy's sake. Because I've done comedy for comedy's sake. Right. I've done that, you know, in sketch comedy videos or stand up or, uh, you know, sitcoms. I did this sitcom Superstore for NBC. Mm. And I think I improvised two or three little things that made it into the episode that were very silly. And it was just me trying to get a laugh. Mm -hmm. But with Kingdom, I was improvising in the moment of like, just committing to what was going on yeah. because some, sometimes they'll leave the cameras rolling long after you finished the scene
0: mm-hmm. and
1: and it lingers. And what I hate is when they expect us to stop living because the script is done.
0: Yeah. So
1: like if they kept the cameras rolling and they didn't yell cut, I always just kept living in the space. Hmm. And sometimes they would end a scene 15 seconds later because I did a, right. A little ditty, a <laughs> little solo guitar at the end. Whatever that was, <laughs> sometimes it was funny, and that was fun because the crew was very—it was very infectious for the crew. Where the show was so dark and dramatic that getting the crew to laugh was probably somewhat therapeutic,
0: right? Um. So okay, so actually, I want to go back uh, a little bit. So you let's let's go back to uh, to a young Paul. You st- at what point did you start getting into the co- like thinking that you wanted to act or do comedy? Were you, were you into movies or TV when you were younger, or like, were you like a big movie fan?
1: I have like vivid memories of watching movies and just being kind of drawn in, and mm. them having a lasting effect on me, where I just thought about it long after it was done. And I don't really know what the, the thoughtful breakdown of that was, or the connective tissue of me being so obsessed with having watched Mrs. Doubtfire and Batman forever and a few good mm-hmm. men, you know, the early nineties to mid nineties, there were just a number of films that I watched and I went, whatever this person's doing, I like it and I yeah. want to see if I can also do it. Yeah. And it was, it was literally as monkey see monkey do as that mm-hmm. instead of kids wanting to learn how to do car wheels, I wanted to learn how to do monologues, you know?
0: Right. Yeah. It's uh it were, were there any uh, particular performers that, that jumped out at you or was it more just movies and uh, uh, specific films? I love Jim Varney who did the earliest yeah. movies. Yeah. I loved how his face was all rubbery and
1: weird and he was very committed and like not afraid to look silly and other adults were annoyed by him. And as a kid, you identify with that because you are occasionally uh, if not frequently annoying to adults. <laughs> yes. So I identified with Jim Varney and Ernest, Chris Farley and anything Martin mm. Short and Clifford, like all these weird oh, I love Cl- so I love
0: Clifford, Clifford so much. Oh, it's great. It's great.
1: Uh, but I identified with silly adults and and loved that. And my dad got us hooked on like The Jerk with Steve Martin. And oh yeah. I saw Monty Python the Holy Grail when I was maybe nine or ten on Comedy Central. They used to play it all the time. So so it was all silly comedy and then I saw a few good men and I went, Oh, what is this? Yeah. Oh, I got, why, why are these guys, why, why does Nicholson hate Cruz? Why does Cruz hate Nicholson? What are the no. stakes? The stakes and the severity of adults hollering at each other and picking each other apart. I wanted to suddenly hmm. know what that meant and why it was happening and then try to take part in it.
0: And it sounds like, you know, if you're, if your dad is introducing you to movies, it sounds like you were raised in a for lack of a better term, a movie positive household, which in the v- Christian community is not a, always a gift. Oh, my dad's a Lutheran pastor. Oh, all right.
1: So my dad is a fifth generation Lutheran pastor. My brother now a sixth generation pastor. And uh, so they could have been, I mean, my earliest memory at the theater was the summer of 1990. I think I was mm-hmm. three and our dad pulled us out of ghost dad with Bill Cosby <laughs> because there was too much cursing in the film. We are like 20 minutes in. My dad's like, nope. Okay. Like got really pissed off and, and pulled everybody out of the theater. And we're all crying because our dad's mad and we don't know why. And Yeah. Where it's awkward. My that's my earliest memory is my dad pulled me out
0: of Ghost Dad with Bill Cosby. I feel like that's got to shape you somehow. And I'm trying to, oh I don't my know
1: gosh, how. there's something I, I could write a book on that at some point if I think <laughs> long enough. But, uh, but you know what, for, for being practicing Christians and having certain lines they drew, like we couldn't sure. watch Simpsons or MTV till you know we were like 13 or whatever, um. Outside of that, they did encourage watching films. And they would bring movies home from the library. Or they'd, they surprised me and took me to see Jurassic Park one night mm. without telling me. They're like, hey, we're going to run some errands. Do you and your sister want to come with? And me and my sister Julia went with. And mm. they, they were all kind of smiley and quiet, my mom and dad. And then they pull up to the theater. We're like, what are we doing here? And pull us out. They're like, where are you going to see Jurassic Park? And I'm like, the dinosaurs. And I cried. And they had to pull me in. They're like, it's OK. You're going to love it. Like, stop crying. <laughs> this is going to be amazing. And then, of course, I loved it, and uh, it was a magical little moment where my
0: my parents were inciting the love of film, whether they knew it or not. That's uh, that's pretty great. It reminds me of of uh, before we started recording. You and I were talking about Sam Rockwell, and he had that great oh. story, uh, that great story from his Oscar speech, where his uh, he was called to the principal principal's office, and his and his dad was there. He goes, he goes, "Hey, you got to come with me. It's grandma." He's like, "Oh, okay." Bless you. And so then he goes, what's wrong with grandma? He goes, nothing. We're just going to the movies. <laughs> and I feel like that's, that's, that's so great. Cause I do think, Oh, that, it's wonderful. I feel like it's fairly rare, Christian or not. I feel like it's fairly rare for somebody to have arrived on, you know, arrived at a love of film completely on their own. Like, I feel like either it's an older sibling or, or a parent who yeah. just like really loves it and says like, Oh, you should watch this.
1: Yeah and, and you need a moment where you're where you see something that kind of inspires thoughts or behavior mm-hmm. and uh and you know for a lot for a whole other generation it was the fonz it was literally sure. just a guy coming in with a leather jacket wise cracking and sticking up for the nerds and it was yeah. like that was the height of cool for that moment you know
0: It is weird that fonz would hang out with the nerds
1: He did didn't he I'm not making that No up he
0: did me. yeah like you know Potsy and and uh
1: and, uh, I mean, he had like women he was seeing and he was very like, kind of like, you know, man on the street, but also like, he hung out with the nerds all the time. Yeah. yeah? He was a man of the
0: people. That's the way I like, Gosh, I like, we to need out. a Fonz in <laughs> office. How do we get a Henry Winkler in office? You know what? If Henry Winkler himself Grand. were to run for office, he would get, I'm going to say 50 out of 50 States. I mean, he's by all accounts, the nicest man in the world.
1: I mean, I feel the same way about John Kasich and Bernie Sanders. <laughs> uh, I want one of these sweet, intelligible, fair-minded older gentlemen who uh, who isn't going to stir up controversy in 140 characters. But uh, but I don't think those people get elected for a reason. Yeah,
0: everybody wants a javelin chucking psychopath. Yeah, almost invariably you know what it is out of my enjoyment of like character actors and theater that I watch primaries. Um, because you just see like this whole stage and it's like, Oh, it's like <laughs> a little play. Um, but, oh, that's uh, funny. and, but then in general, it, it never fails that the person I find myself rooting for no way. Like they don't have the, they the never slightest have a chance. shot. So. nice
1: nice guys and gals finish last not in yeah. life but uh, uh, in the race they do Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, so okay now you went to you say you went to theater school I didn't you did not no so just from high school to to the big time basically all right which
1: I don't like saying because once again that feels kind of arrogant or something but it was but you know what it was is I did 10 plays in high school mm-hmm. I wrote Two feature-length screenplays. By the time I was eighteen, I was doing stand-up comedy at cafes and bars mm-hmm. in my hometown. I was watch. I was I had Netflix very early on and was you know getting getting Woody Allen films and and uh, Frank Capra and Chris, Christopher Guest and Cindy Lumette films and like I was very like self-taught. So I had an education in all of what I do now for a living, but it was very self-imposed and self, uh, constrained I suppose.
0: Yeah. And uh, it is a thing that I've had people say that they want to get into filmmaking and they say like, Oh, do you think I should go to film school? And I say, no, I mean, it can be certainly from a cinematography standpoint, like you will learn a lot from as far as how the camera works, but but you don't necessarily need it. I think if you want
1: to be a, a, a cinematographer or if you want to do motion graphics for animated features sure. or whatever, there is a place in which you should learn the fundamentals and, and sculpt your craft under the tutelage of someone who, who really knows how to use software and think in that, in that sort of arena. But I would say if you want to be a gaffer, go be an assistant to a gaffer and learn yeah. everything from what not to say to the other gaffers to what shoes to wear to that. You can learn that on the job, and acting is probably no different. Yeah. Go make a short film, go be in a horrible play, go do YouTube <laughs> videos, go watch every. Meryl Streep and Viola Davis performance. Like the education is as far as you want to take it probably.
0: Yeah. And, and some people, and that's the thing is, I feel like there are some people that I went to school with who were very enthusiastic, but they didn't really have it. And I say that as somebody who I don't make movies, so I don't think I have it either, but, um, But I think there are some people that are, for whatever reason, whether they're actors or directors, they do seem to just instinctively understand how a movie gets put together, like, without any formal education. Like, Tarantino, I mean, it's, it's well known that, like, he didn't go to film school, like, he just worked at a video store and just watched a lot of movies and then started making movies and he just seemed to... He just seems to bleed movies. Like he just seems to have it.
1: Well, and what is most important with a filmmaker is really point of view, and that doesn't have to be visual. Point of view mm-hmm. can just be the voice, which clearly Tarantino had, had has a voice. But also, when you surround yourself with a great crew, they can make you look like a better director sure. than you actually are, and sure. that's what I learned from directing my own shorts and stuff. Is mm-hmm. I'm realizing if you can find your little mini Bob Richardson DP. Mm-hmm wonderful if you can go find uh you know a production designer who knows how to make 20 bucks look like 200 bucks yeah
0: yeah that's yeah that makes a a big difference um so by the
1: way by the way i didn't mean to poo poo acting school i just because there are i have friends who i've worked with who are so skilled and so reliable in how good they are and they, they tell me stories about being at conservatories and stuff. Mm-hmm. So clearly, both patterns work. The reality is that, at sure. the end of the day, any collegiate experience will be based on what you want it to be and who you are. And I'm yeah. a very anti-establishment, sort of needlessly rebellious, non-collegiate individual.
0: Yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> at
1: so least, at it, least I own up to it. It's not like it's some smart, like... It's not like I'm super smart and I'm smarter than the rest. It's that I just have my own way of kind of yeah. doing it.
0: Yeah, and I uh, well, I would say an education is never wasted. The money oh, <laughs> spent yeah, on an education might for those be wasted. Folks. I yeah. feel
1: bad for the twenty six year olds who are hundred thousand dollars in debt. Yeah. I don't wish that on anybody.
0: Yeah, and if and if if you can avoid it, and I think a lot of people in the film industry probably are very successful and didn't necessarily go to college. They just decided to jump right into the industry. And, you know, and I have a friend who uh, dances uh, on Broadway and he out of high school just said, I want to be a dancer. And so joined again, it wasn't a formal education, but he joined like little dance schools and oh, stuff, yeah. and which is a little what they bit do different here too. Yeah. They
1: do that with actors here where like actors don't go to a school school. Yeah. But they take classes with renowned people, right? And instead of being set back six figures, they might be set back, you know, oh, they spent twelve grand over the course of three years, right? Yeah. That's right. Like, that's much more manageable. Yes. Yeah.
0: Um, okay. So, moving on, let's uh, let's jump to I Tanya. Cool. Um, you know, it is would you say it's it's the highest profile thing you've been uh, a part of or would you say
1: oh far and away yeah okay. yeah no i and i wasn't even sure it was going to be that big not because it wasn't great but because you know the oscar season is pretty
0: congested and everybody's
1: yeah. vying for some sort of recognition prize or not so to have three Oscar nominations we almost had four we were probably if there was a one or two more best picture contenders we would have been one one of those two I think so um, it's crazy man yeah Yeah. it didn't win it didn't make a ton of money I think it made 30 million bucks and it's not like I get stopped on the street and people are like, eh. but it's like in the industry, it's very, it's good. Sure. It's social currency, uh, or professional currency as far yeah. as it's done
0: wonders. And it was, you know, in, in that whole drama and I want to be careful not to speak overly ill of it because of it's a, of course these are real people. True. Um, but, uh, you know, the character of, the 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 person Sean played a huge role. Yeah. And so it's not as though you fade away into the background or anything. Like there are major scenes that feature you and you have like these really fascinating monologues and that sort of thing. And so yeah, I could definitely I I know plenty of people that came away from that movie and of course they know what to they know to expect greatness from Alice and Janney. They of know course. I I I actually think that Sebastian Stan like should have gotten more recognition for that film. I I think he was great. Um, but it's always nice when you see a movie, that's how I felt about hail Caesar. You know, of course it has this huge cast, but then Alden Ehrenreich, it's like, I don't know who that is, but my favorite part of them. Oh, he's, he's great. I loved him. Yeah. And, and clearly other people noticed him too. Like when you've got him playing Han Solo, clearly someone somewhere recognized. No, it was currency. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so yeah, I'm, I was, uh, like a, like a number of people, I, I said like, who is this Sean guy? Not merely the actor, but also this, the person. Sure. Um, and so I was gonna, I was gonna ask you like playing a real person, albeit one that is no longer living. Um, how much freedom did you feel to like explore the character? Did you feel like you needed to be as, as on, as possible, like on point as far as his mannerisms and stuff like that. Oh, or did you, you mean feel like
1: with, with accuracy and so. Yeah. Well, it's not like playing one of the Kennedy's where everybody's waiting for you to go. Um, today I had pancakes with an almond <laughs> butter and tomorrow I'm like, I, that's think- a Kennedy movie. I want to see Thankfully. by the way <laughs> 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 that meeting breakfast, the breakfast before the assassination. Oh gosh. I, uh, no, I think I, t- to be honest, I think I had, I had it way easier than some of these other guys. Uh, playing a, uh, playing a real person who isn't widely known amidst a widely known story mm-hmm. is actually quite the, um, quite the lounge chair in, com- in comparison <laughs> to what Margo did, I feel. Um, Uh, Sean Eckhart, the real Sean Eckhart, who changed his name to Brian Griffin after he got out of Griffin or Griffith, after he got out of jail because he wanted to start over, Mm -hmm. uh, understandably so, he passed away in 2007, I believe, Mm -hmm. and uh, probably from some sort of health concern from what I hear. So I I had maybe nine minutes of collective compendium footage Mm -hmm. from interviews he had given for news affiliates, local and national. And that was all I had to go off of. Yeah. Uh, I, t- I got some, I tracked down this guy, Eugene Saunders. He's a, he's a theological uh, professor in Portland, Oregon. And I tracked him down. I heard his name, that he was one of the people that, that turned Sean into the FBI huh. and cops because he didn't want to be complicit. Sean had been bragging about it to yeah. him at this university. So I tracked this guy down and called his Bible college and said, hey, uh, want to leave a message for Dr. Saunders? And He got back to me an hour or two later. We spoke for over an hour. He was very pleasant, gave me some details about Sean, that, mm-hmm. some little ticks. And it was what was funny was one or two things that I mentioned to him that I was planning on doing with the role, he corroborated and said, yeah, Sean oh, would do stuff like that. But, so it was. It was. I felt comfortable enough to approach it and dive in, and not doubt or second guess myself, and just kind of hope that I'm living in the world that right. Craig Gillespie, the director, and uh, Stephen Rogers, writer producer, were trying to create. Which, of course, was kind of that Cohen brothersy, Scorsese
0: dark dramedy world, whatever that is. And did you? Um, and I'll talk about the the film in a moment from a character standpoint. You know. Sean, not to, I don't necessarily want to speak ill of the dead, but he was kind of an odd guy. Um, No, I mean, we can call it what it is. I mean, people, you know, say horrible things about dead people. Not that you and I will, because I think (laughs) we're
1: nicer than that. But he was not, he was, I think, a very sort of delusionally driven individual who probably had a lot of pain and a lot of hurt and a lot of um, potential self-loathing or feeling isolated or feeling discluded or excluded, whatever the word is. And, And I think he enacted some form of revenge mm-hmm. in uh, trying to convince people like, I'm not a joke. Like you, yeah. you got to take me seriously. I could, I could actually have you arrested. Yeah. I could actually, I could actually give you the wrong passport and have you uh, taken to custody and taken on a, put on no fly list. Like, yeah. I think he conjured up this, this other identity, but then actually tried to make people believe it was real.
0: Yeah which I think is mental illness when you break mm-hmm. it down. And there is a real I mean of course the character is 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 often seen as as amusing in the film but I do think that there is an undercurrent of 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 sadness and I use this word like in a, in a maybe a different way than people assume it. There is a certain pathetic quality to him um that I feel like I feel like people might not be able to relate to it on the level that he's talking about, but just like you said, this idea of I'm not super thrilled with where I am and who I am. I wish that I were this other thing. Yeah.
1: I think pathetic is a good word. It's not a kind word, but I think it's accurate. And I think a lot of people do pathetic things in the name of, of selfishness. And Mm -hmm. that's, we see it every day in big and small ways, you know, self entitlement and, and revenge and people have little tactics they employ to get what they want and this guy clearly was massaging some sort of angle to yeah. both make him to both help his friend advance in that sports world mm-hmm. because if Nancy doesn't make it to the Olympics maybe time it does one. Yeah. And then at the same time make himself seem more useful like, oh, figure skaters are getting knocked off. Yeah. Or oh there's some there's some you know, midnight strangler out and about. I'm the guy who can save you from it. Like he clearly did think it out. It was yeah. a thought out plan. It's just the enactment was so stupid uh, <laughs> yeah. that of course they got caught pretty quickly. And he was bragging about it openly. Yeah, that's probably that's, that's, that's <laughs> that you want to talk either. pathetic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, guys yeah. sipping a beer, trying to brag to some 55 you know, year old woman in a bar, probably trying to yeah. pick her up, saying, "Hey, you know, hi." help knock off Nancy Kerrigan. Oh, you helped attack a defenseless young woman <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and stop her from reaching the Olympics. Uh, um, yeah.
0: Show me to the airplane bathroom. <laughs> and it's, uh, bef- so before we were recording, uh, we were talking a lot about the Riddler as tends to happen with pe- when people come into my office, it's kind of a thematic thing here. Um, but yeah. And one of the things that I do love about the Riddler is the tragic quality of, he could get away with any crime but he needs people to know just how intricate this was. And in doing so that's his downfall. And so the idea that Sean, like, not that it was remarkably planned, he probably would have gotten caught anyway, but it's not enough. Like he, he seemed to need that recognition from other people, even if the recognition was like, yeah, you did something terrible. Pride comes before the fall. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's a weird thing to be proud of, uh, but it's something, it's fame.
1: I mean, it yeah. happens in these high schools, too. You know, people, teenagers want to take credit for the bad things they did against other people. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, and, and then, of course, they're dragged into the principal's office 40 minutes later. Yeah. And uh, because it is a childish mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, when you see it, in the, when you see it in children, it's like, oh, that makes sense. And when you see it in adults, it's like, oh, yes. who hurt you? It, yeah, it does feel like
0: this feels deep. This one,
1: yeah. It was, um, no, it's uh, and to just to to circle back to everything you said, I think it is a funny character because he looks very buffoonish. It's sort of like uh, Ignatius J. Riley in the in the John Kennedy tool book, A Confederacy of Dunces, mm-hmm. is sort of this misshapen odd delusional arrogant mm-hmm. individual who carries themselves with the utmost pride though their fly may be down and a mustard <laughs> stain may be on the shirt <laughs> right. so that'll always be funny no matter what cartoon yeah. or live action but I think it gets, un, it gets uh, gross and weird and, and un, yeah. uncomfortable when you see how deceptive and, and potentially dangerous someone like that could be
0: and how do you, as an actor, this is something that always fascinates me. Like whenever somebody's playing a villain or a not smart person, I, I'm avoiding saying dumb. Um, wow, you are being so family friendly. I, I'm, I'm really trying nauseating. to be nauseating. Again, I, just, I, I don't like to speak ill of the dead, but uh, even if somebody has the guy done owns something a copy wrong, of Fireproof, okay, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. That was unsurprisingly sent to me by my mom. <laughs> I'm sure it was.
1: She sent it along with Lust, Caution, and Macbeth. I don't even know lust if you own that caution, Lust, Caution. Lust it out there. You're a film fanatic.
0: Sorry. What were you saying about villains? That is Sorry. a fun poll, by the way. Good job. Um, you picked, when- like, Ang Lee's NC-17 film. <laughs> anyway, um, okay, so... But like when, when playing these characters that, that for one reason or another could be seen as undesirable, sure. how do you, how do you play a character that is kind of a buffoonish, but not play him as a buffoon? Like you need to play him as seriously as he takes himself, but it's still funny. Like you still need to make him funny.
1: I mean, I played a buffoonish, I've played a buffoonish person many times and, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I have no idea why. Um, <laughs> now it, I would say in Kingdom, this, I did 25 episodes of a show called Kingdom, and that I played a guy who had some uh, some odd sexual frustration and some PTSD, and he had been abused and been in and out of jail and foster care his whole hmm. life. Like There was a lot going on with this guy. I think yeah. it, I made him somewhat on the autism spectrum. Sure. But I did it with this sort of air of comfortability amidst the discomfort, Mm -hmm. meaning he is, he is constantly awkward and uncomfortable. Yeah but he is also used to that state of being. So in a way he is comfortable. It's no different than the hoarders who live in a house that is disgusting and a nightmare, but it has become their reality. So what you perceive to be a nightmare, they've, they have called reality.
0: Yeah. So, um,
1: so I think it's about commitment and specificity and being able to live in it without pointing at it. Yeah. Uh, because when you're pointing at it and kind of winking at the camera, the way some poorly, uh, Occupied sitcoms are the ones Mm -hmm. that are less intelligible and funny. Um, you know, it's, it cheapens it. Uh, but if you, but if you act as if nothing is wrong and something is clearly wrong, uh, that's that real inhabitants. And you and I see that every day. If you and I were on a bus headed to that, uh, film building down at UCLA, Mm -hmm. we might see someone on the bus across from us who is twitching or itching a part of their body. You're not supposed to itch in public or, Uh, drinking out of their soda bottle, oddly, like everybody's got these ticks that are hopefully indicative of some other greater thing. If you want to place that on them, you know?
0: And I think, I think that's a really interesting, a really good way of looking at it, which is, and it's something that we all do is we will look at, even if, even if we look at somebody with sympathy or pity, like if we look and see like, Oh, those poor people, it's like there's there's an an inherent condescension and an inherent superiority there. Yes. And if you were to play that that like hey everybody I'm better than the guy I'm playing like then I think it's going to come oh. through whereas I think full commitment for a character like that makes him oddly funnier but also I think more relatable.
1: I've dealt with so much self-loathing and occasional depression and image issues and self-doubt that And I've faced so much rejection, both romantically and occupationally, that like there won't come a day where I feel superior to anybody because I still got to look in the mirror every day. Uh, And that is not to diminish the confidence I have in Jesus Christ and the fact that I'm uh, a child of God and the fact Mm -hmm. that I have these wonderful talents that were gifted to me and, and wonderful opportunities given. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I still, uh, I see sinner. I see that homeboy in the mirror every day, and I, yeah. and so I have quite, uh, quite a bit of kinship and alignment with villains and 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 lesser, the least of these, if you will.
0: Yeah, we had a uh, this is years ago now, but we had a guy named Bill Oberst Jr. on who focuses. I mean, this guy works more. Name. Why do I know the name? Uh, if you're into low budget horror at all, you've seen him in something.
1: Okay, maybe He works
0: more than anybody I've ever met <laughs> and not just in film. I mean, anyone I've ever met, uh, he's been in like, cause it's this low budget stuff. So they crank it out pretty quick. But like in like five years, he was in like a hundred films.
1: Oh, he's one of those guys who's like night of the fangs, eight, something just, like that. You know, yes. a girl in a bikini yeah. falling off a water slide with a, blood chewing on her neck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the <laughs> trauma ask, like the, yeah, oh, the low hanging fruit of these things. Wish, wish they were branches. trauma. Yeah. yeah. Um,
0: but yeah. Sorry. So, sorry. Anyway, Bill Oberst jr. Yeah. Right? And so he, uh, and he's always a villain. Uh, he just has that quality to With him. a name like Bill Oberst jr. And I think he's the son of a pastor. Now that I think about oh, it. Yeah. Uh, I might be wrong he's about that, but of but yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Oh, those preachers, kids, you can't trust them. No, we're, um, we're messed up. But, uh, but yeah, and he, he's got, he has gotten a fair amount of flack from Christian, the Christian community for being not merely being in horror movies, but also playing the the villain in them. <laughs> They're like, if you were in the Babadook, we'd appreciate it, but you're in night of the fangs age. Tr- I do love the Babadook so much anyway. Um, but, uh, And his, and his attitude is one that I, that I appreciate. And I think, and it's one that you've talked about as well, which is it's not that Christians have necessarily more insight on people, but I think we do understand that there is an inherent fallenness in all of us. And so who, who would I, who am I to think that I'm better than this person? Like, I'm not going to try and sugarcoat them, but I am going to try and understand them as best I can.
1: I would agree to a certain extent. I (laughs) think meaning. I think Christians know the light at the end of the tunnel sure. I think everybody knows the tunnel true but not everybody has the light I think we're really lucky that i blessed that we know yeah. we we know what uh how do I want to phrase this we we know of something we know of a source the source that like that gives us alignment with something wonderful. And mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how messed up or broken we are. Yeah, We are, we are chosen to be part of this family and we're yeah. loved and uh, we're loved in our brokenness while yeah. we're still sinners. Christ died for us. So yeah. like that, that that's, that's the really exciting thing. But I think like there are plenty of non-Christian people that play amazing, odious people, sure. sad people, Sure, but it's because we all know the hurt, you know? Yeah. And I, and in some ways I wish we would, focus more on that. I feel like a lot of Christians are always yelling at everybody's ears about like, repent and be saved. And it's like, why don't you learn how to sit with these people? Yeah. Why don't you learn how to sit with them and get to know them yeah. and know their pain and, and admit to your own. And it's, what does James five, six say, uh, uh, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. So that you may be healed. A mm. uh, prayer of a righteous persons, powerful and effective. So it's like, you know, part of it is we're supposed to be healing each other, but that, that takes communication
0: yeah.
1: and, and it's not always just through making a sign. And well, and I'm sorry of course, to get my, I just got preachy there on No, it's perfectly, it's perfectly but, fine. But your dad would like, be thrilled. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, but people, people like Bill Oberst jr. I'm sure that everybody's like, oh, how can this, how can a Christian yeah. person, but it's like, I think how you live your life is vastly more important than who you play in a movie. Sure. Um and how you actually treat people as, you know
0: and I honestly think that how you play that person in a movie is probably going to be an extension of of your life or at least of your philosophy. Yeah.
1: philosophy. yeah
0: philosophy um, yeah completely agree and so yeah and and it's one of those things that while I do think it is important for people to recognize the need for God, which means acknowledging what they lack, I don't think being on a street corner with the sign that says "repent," I, I I don't like to speak in extremes, but I'm going to go ahead and say I'll bet in the history of people holding up signs that say "repent" on street corners, I'm going to say zero percent of them have seen any success at all. Yeah, I would. I would if anything, guess. maybe going maybe a negative percentage now because I could see it pushing people the other oh, way.
1: Of course, of course. Here's the reality: if I. You know those people that spin signs, Mm -hmm. the sign spinners? Yeah. You know, they dance like complete imbeciles wearing (laughs) outfits that they're sweating and probably smell like a sock drawer. Like, uh, sock drawers actually usually hold clean socks. A hamper (laughs) would be a better (laughs) analogy. These people are insane that they have this job. They're keeping it because... They're desperate. Yeah. Non-desperate people don't spin signs. Uh, <laughs> and and what sign spinner has ever gotten you to go into said car
0: wash or restaurant? Maybe never? Very few. Partially yeah. because if it's one of those signs that ha- that is like pointing a certain way, well, they're spinning they're it all over the place anyway. <laughs> <so> like-
1: <laughs>
0: That's hilarious. That's good stand up. Oh, thank uh, you. No, but but I you know, I, I
1: think in the same way, if you are vouching for your faith in a mm-hmm. way that leads you to scream and tell people they might be going to hell and if they read John 3:16 they're they're going to be straight mm-hmm. you're <sighs> I'm not going to your restaurant, dude. Like, great <laughs> restaurants don't need to scream and be psychopaths to get you to eat there. Yeah. You find out about it because it's great. Yeah. And if Christians were living what they professed and they actually read the Bible every day and by the time they died, they had read it 18 times, yeah. which is what we all should probably do if we want to actually know what's in this book we profess if, if it were like that, people would probably show up because our actions would, would be very alluring to the heart, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, hopefully. And, and we are doing that to some extent, but, but, uh, I think we need to get less militant and less political and, and legalistic and more just yeah. living out the care bear version of Christianity, <laughs> which is just, Show your belly in love. <laughs> Stick that belly out and yeah, yeah. shine.
0: Get get a lot of your friends together and just stare.
1: Okay, and just stare, <laughs> man. You don't know how many people probably do need that. Um so it's the the Christian equivalent of Robin Williams going, It's not your fault. Exactly, it's not your fault. Exactly. <laughs> them to the, stare with your belly until they cry and weep in your arms and ask for Christ.
0: Um so uh so real quick, I want to talk about a, a couple of things. I want to first talk about uh, Black Klansmen. Yeah. Um, so I actually have, on purpose, stayed fairly ignorant of what it's about. The title does tip me off a little bit, but uh, but it's a it's a Spike Lee joint. It is. Um, and so what... Uh, you, what ch-
1: you are so hip.
0: Yeah, well, you know, it's I a like Spike to... Spike Lee joint. Look, I get it, all right? I, I know what the kids... kids <laughs>
1: Yeah. Spike Lee is actually more for adults now. I don't know if kids know who Spike Lee is
0: Uh, unless he's on YouTube red. uh, They don't know. I don't think so. It doesn't seem like his kind of thing.
1: uh, You know, I I was a lifelong fan of Spike Lee. He's hit or miss for me, which I say openly. It's not like I'm like afraid. I think a lot of people are hit or miss. I'm definitely hit or miss, um, in Mm -hmm. life and creatively. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, uh, Spike Lee was someone I was a big fan of though. I love do the right thing and I love, uh, 25th hour is one of my, you know, 10 or 15 favorite films of all time. So I was geeked just to have the audition. The fact that I was reading in front of Spike Lee was insane, Mm -hmm. but I went in to play a member of the KKK, uh, of which, uh, you are wont to do, uh, when you are a chubby sketchy looking white dude and they (laughs) need you. Uh, and I went in and read it and had a lot of fun and just really threw myself into it and sort of wasn't afraid to improvise. I made stuff up in front of Spike that wasn't on the script and, Hmm. I was, you know, very much the real version of me that I show my friends and family. Hmm. Uh, and Spike dug it, and he took my cell phone number down in the room, which has never happened. Hmm. And uh, when I walked out, I was like, if I don't get this job, I'm going to lose my mind because <laughs> uh, cause this amazing filmmaker just wrote my cell phone number down and gave me a bro hug. <laughs> uh, come to find out, they offered that part, that big the lead villain to somebody else who who... Uh, did a terrific job, but then they offered me his sidekick role, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, of course, of course I'll take this. And, yeah, uh, yeah, I had the time of my life and met wonderful people, made some lifelong friends in my cast members, John David Washington and Ryan Eggold and and Spike, and I text every once in a while and he was very, he saw I, Tanya and just shot me a text that, you know, had a bunch of, you know, fist pound emojis and was like, <laughs> I, Tanya, man, way to go, and he said, Happy New Year to me a couple days before New Year's, just hmm. like it, very nice interactions with the people I worked on the film with and I and I think people will like it. It's it's a true mm-hmm. story about how in the 1970s in Colorado Springs there was an African American police officer who called the KKK's number that they put in the paper and said, hey, I want to join up, you know, half joking. And they called him back and, and he had already used his real name and he's like, oh, how do I do this? So he sent a white officer in his stead pretending mm-hmm. to be him. So he would be on the phone calls but then the white officer would go in his stead in person and it's kind of like the departed meets Mississippi burning is the way I tell yeah. people the hmm. film is. And uh,
0: Is it, um, is cool. it kind of comedic at times? It feels like it would, it's almost farcical. It's a Spike Lee film. Yeah, so I if guess you that's watch true. enough
1: of them, there's, you know, Spike has a lot of surprising sort of broad moments of comedy in a lot of his films, subtle and broad. He kind of rides an interesting tonal line. And so uh, it's, it's, it's got that it's got, it's it's kind of a mixed bag. It's such a like a it's like t- this movie feels like it's going to be like a pillowcase full of Halloween candy, you know? <laughs> it's it's going to be a nutty piece of chocolate and then uh, a razor uh, and then blade then you, and a No, really, apple. really. You'll take a bite and go, is that a razor blade? And then a moment later, someone will give you a bag of pennies and a pudding cup, and you go, what the heck is this? Uh, I think that'll be this film. I think this film is a is a pillowcase of Halloween candy. But um, unlike a pillowcase of Halloween candy, this film has something to say that's really important and <laughs> unfortunately relevant. You
0: know? Yeah, it's... Uh do the right thing is one of my favorite movies of all time. I think it's probably yeah. the best film about race ever precisely because it's so uncomfortable at times. Yeah. Um, like there are a lot of things I like about, about crash, but I mean, it can't hold a candle to do no, the right it's, thing.
1: It's, I mean, crash is great too, but they're different. Do the right yeah. thing is a little more personal. Yeah. Yeah. I think.
0: And probably a bit more lived in since it's from the point of view of an African-American filmmaker, as opposed to a white filmmaker.
1: Sure. And, uh, and I think uh, what I, what I would say is this too. I, I don't want to not crash too much. I'm, I'm friendly with Paul Haggis. I like that guy. Okay. Uh, he, I, I met him in New York and he pulled me and Sebastian stand over to his table and was like, everybody meet Paul and Sebastian. They're in Idaña. <laughs> it was like, just made us sit with this group of friends who didn't know us. And it was very pleasant. Um, but, uh, but it's, it's, uh, Crash is a great film. Uh, Do the right thing is very deeply personal and and was a big moment for me as a young white male, mm. uh, getting a glimpse into what yeah. that lifestyle looks like, where you are, um, you are unconsciously treated different. Not that right. the African Americans are unconscious about it, but we the white people are pretty mm-hmm. unconscious about how we. Uh, Code switch without knowing it, yeah, or uh, whether we feel uncomfortable or we feel like we need to show how comfortable we are, or whatever sure. it is. Um, that film really dialed into the subtleties and, of course, the enormities where you yeah. know we're burning buildings down, people are getting killed. So.
0: Yeah, it's. Yeah, listeners, if you haven't seen Do the Right Thing, check it out. Um,
1: check it out. And wait, then till I, you're in, wait till you're ready for it.
0: It's a, it's a, that a, is true, yes. It's a doozy. And yet, it's Make still. Make sure you're in a good mood. It is also still kind of funny. Oh, and yeah. Really, no, no, no. And highly stylized. That's the other thing.
1: And I mean, the, the camera movement, the music, the colors, like yeah. everything is very vibrant and and, and uh, engrossing. Like you'll be very immersed in that movie. No. Yeah. You won't be looking at your Instagram, hopefully.
0: Hopefully. Well, we'll see. You
1: <laughs> By the way, quick anecdote. Okay. Uh, I had a crush on this woman, Megan, who went to my community group, I think, at the time. And I wanted to watch a movie with her. And I loved the movie The Place Beyond the Pines. Oh, it's great. Uh, which I wanted to show to her. And she was on her phone half the movie, like an hour and a half out of two and a half hours.
0: Well, so much. And for it that. Was, and no, it was literally a deal
1: breaker. I mean, she's beautiful. She's probably way more intelligent than me, <laughs> certainly better looking. But, uh, but that was a deal breaker, man. When people are on their phones too long during a movie, if you got to check it once in a while, go ahead.
0: But if you're a doctor, maybe oh, I'll, I'll allow it.
1: Yeah, if you're someone dying, I'll let you check your pager. But if you are literally texting during The Place Beyond the Pines, I'm going to punch you in the ribs. <laughs> you
0: know? Which she found out the hard way. Just no, right I, in the no, I ribs. I did not strike a woman. Okay. Um, so, okay, real quick, a couple no, things. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Just uh, what are some of your favorite movies of all time?
1: Uh, I think I have my top 10 memorized. Okay, uh, let's do it. Number one, It's Wonderful Life. Okay. Number two, The Departed. Mm-hmm. Number three, Wet Hot American Summer. Oh. Number four, Dazed and Confused. Okay. Number five, A Few Good Men. Number six, Almost Famous. Number seven, Field of Dreams. Mm -hmm. Number eight, The Fighter. Okay. Number nine, I think, is Shattered Glass. Oh, I love it. And number 10 uh, might be, number 10 is a toss-up. Number 10 might be The 25th Hour.
0: Okay. Yeah, it's, uh, so you seem to like ensemble films quite a bit. Like where there might be a lead, but there's definitely, it's kind of spread out. Yeah. That's interesting.
1: It's where you get to discover great actors and actresses. Yeah.
0: And,
1: like you can cut away to anybody and you're still invested.
0: Yeah. yeah. My favorite movie is Nashville, which I've is never seen it. Oh, it's marvelous. I'm so sorry. Oh, well, Altman, I think, yeah. yeah, I think you'd love it. Um, okay now, but here's my question. Now you're five years younger than myself, which is not that big of a deal. Really, You um, don't, you know, so you're 36. Yes.
1: You if you tell me you're twenty six, believe you. Whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Good job, dude. Well,
0: I don't exert myself over anything. There you go. It seems to be working just there you fine. Go. Maybe it's the toys. <laughs> Maybe you're <like> six. <26 laughs> exactly. That, it, it's, it's, all, it's all context. Um
1: sorry, what were you saying?
0: So five years obviously is not that big of a deal unless talking about pop culture. You know, like five years can be like, we didn't necessarily watch the same cartoons growing no. up, at least not at the same time. So I no curious. not at the same time.
1: Cause you didn't live with my family. Did you,
0: um, hang on. What's your dad's name again? Paul Allen Hauser, pastor Hauser. No. Okay. Well, what's the spelling of Alan? Okay. I'm not going to continue yeah. with this bit. Um, I'll uh, drive
1: yeah. a bit into the ground.
0: <laughs> they will stop listening
1: if they haven't yet. Um, um, sorry. What? No. Yeah. Pop culture.
0: But yeah. And so, my question as uh, someone who is a fan of WWE, or as I knew it, WWF, um, as I'm sure you did as well, um, like I watched it, I think I watched like, to me the peak was WrestleMania six, and it was Hulk Hogan versus Ultimate Warrior. I went over to my friend's house and we watched, we got pay-per-view and the whole deal. And uh, we were really excited. Uh, And since then, uh, it's all been downhill. But, uh, but I was wondering who some of your favorite uh, wrestlers are, past, present, whatever. The old timers, I'm a big fan of Sting,
1: okay. Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, oh, yeah. uh, Ric Flair and Arn Anderson, mm-hmm. and uh, Bret Hart. And then the newer guys... I uh, I really like. There's this guy. There are these two guys in the farm league of WWE. It's called NXT. Mm-hmm. If you for ten bucks a month, you can subscribe to the WWE network, and it's like Netflix for wrestling. You get all the old stuff. You get all the new stuff. It's it's just a compendium of everything. And uh, there are these two guys. Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano who are like best friends in real life. Yeah, but they played out a storyline over a year and a half where They turned on each other. Yeah, and they became more, you know, serious enemies and then one guy beat him up in front of his wife and then he sent the guy to the hospital and they thought his career was over. Then the guy got kicked out of the company. Then he came back to the company, defeated him. Then after he defeated him and he thought it was over, the other guy turned on him and beat him up and sent him to the hospital. Like it has been so soap opera esque this year and a half long story between these two guys, uh, Gargano and Ciampa that, uh, those are my two favorite guys. Now I'm, I'm like following the story the way people are following, you know, a crisis in another country with our <laughs> foreign policy or something. Yeah. it's, uh, those are my go-tos, but I'm proud of John Cena making the leap. Him and Dave Batista made the leap from WWE to yeah. the film world. They've done a pretty terrific
0: job. Yeah. With Batista actually like, I mean, obviously I, I, it's almost to the point that I will watch Dwayne Johnson in anything like he has such charisma. Yeah. Uh, And goodwill. I mean, at the end of the day, whether you like his films or not, he
1: seems like he's a good role model and a good man, which is severely more important than him being a good
0: film star. I guess. Um, I'm joking. (laughs) I'm joking. Um, but yeah, uh, but I do think that the nature of his role is like they will only ever require so much. Whereas I do think Dave, Dave Bautista, like he
1: has got some chops. Yeah.
0: Like in blade runner, I thought he did a a great job. I mean, he's only in it for like five minutes, but it's very effective. Um, And his comedic chops in Guardians of the Galaxy cannot
1: really be fully taught. I don't think comedy is a weird thing where, like, drama, everybody's got it in them. Some people aren't funny. We all experience drama moment to moment. Yeah. Some people just don't get humor, and Dave Bautista really nailed that.
0: Well, and Drax, it's not even just that he's a broadly funny character. He is so specific. Correct. In the kind of thing he needs in his to understanding. be understanding. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I think he does a great job with it, <laughs> and also imbues the char- certainly in the first film, imbues the character with a fair amount of sadness in the mi- often in the midst of being funny. It's yeah. it's it's a it's a real achievement. Yeah. I don't think a, I've seen a, John Cena in anything actually.
1: Oh come on! You saw him in uh, you saw him in Trainwreck, nope. right? The Amy Schumer film. You missed. You skipped it.
0: I, I meant to see it, but I didn't. Did, did you see
1: uh, Sisters of Tina Fey and Amy Poehler? No. Did you see Daddy's Home 1 or 2 with Wahlberg and Farrell? No. Oh, you're skipping all the mediocre comedies. That's your problem. <laughs> yeah. Some of those are better than mediocre, I should say. But, but yeah. Uh, yeah, no, he's, he's got all these bit parts and all these comedies, and he's really been very committed uh, to the comedy, and he's, and he's surprisingly very funny.
0: I think I saw him host SNL. And I think I saw a couple of sketches that he was in and I, and I thought it was it was pretty good. Yeah, he's got the
1: Dwayne Johnson thing where he's, he's very smiley and very good-hearted. And, yeah. Uh,
0: is the word affable? Affable, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was curious. And so uh, last question, as a wrestling fan and an actor, do you feel like you learn anything as an actor? Do you get any inspiration from the... The performances and I and yes, I'm not going to say wrestling is fake, but as far as the theatrics of it, sure. Like, do you do you feel like I can incorporate some of this into my into my acting? Not really. Okay.
1: No. I mean, <laughs> I,
0: I'll put it this way.
1: Put it this way. Some of the commitment because in in the wrestling world, some of these men and women commit to doing very embarrassing feats of performance. Yeah. Uh, you know where. Uh, men are stripped out of their underpants and beat up and, and you know, people are a pie in the face or uh, no. a character that they don't want to... A character they don't want to inhabit for long and they end up doing it for sure. five years. Sure. So, I mean, from a commitment standpoint, 100%. But yeah. I would say the one takeaway I have for my life and career from WWE or professional wrestling has... Uh, and this was a little hint given to me by... Uh, got a little, had a little still small voice moment where I, cause I, I talk to God the way I talk to anybody. I, sure. I pray and I sing worship and I swear and I cry and mm-hmm. I, um, we're close enough. I don't really have to put anything on for God. Yeah. He's seen my worst and my best, which is my best is still, what does the Bible say? Your best is still like dirty rags or whatever. Something like that. It's yeah, so. a biblical thing. It's uh, so a point being, I said one time while watching wrestling, to God as if we're just chomping on popcorn sitting on the couch. I said, why do I watch this? It's so (laughs) stupid. It's so silly. And yet I still love it. Why do I watch this? But I just say, I say stuff like that all the time. And it's not like I expect a response. Right. And I felt a little hit in my chest where I got emotional without knowing the origin of why I was emotional, which is what always lets me know it's the Holy Spirit. And the still small voice said, uh, it taught you to dream. Hmm. So professional wrestling, for whatever reason uh albeit very silly, is somehow in my life because from a young age, getting so emotionally invested in something so silly
0: yeah
1: is what taught me to dream. And, and it's ongoing.
0: Wanna, that's the other thing. Like a ongoing. movie, it's you got two hours, but like these stories, this is what, a year and a half storyline with the guys that you really yeah. like? Like that's a long time to Investment. be invested. Yeah. Uh, and I also think
1: wanting to be, wanting to do what I want to do because it's not like I want to be, it's not like my dream is to be in a CarMax commercial. Sure. My dream is to be the penguin in a Batman film with Matt Reeves directing and to get nominated for a golden globe and Academy award for best supporting actor. My dream is to create a hit series at FX, get nominated
0: can... for, for best supporting actor for the penguin.
1: Yeah. Okay, absolutely. Got it. And, uh, and, and my dream is to act as a celebrity guest in a match at WrestleMania. And my dream is to write, um, my own series at FX or something like that. there are all these dreams I have, but they're pretty big mm-hmm. and to many would be very outlandish. But uh, I was taught from a very young age that it's okay to yeah. dream. And then as an adult, you learn as a kid to dream. As an adult, you have to learn that it's okay to fail. Yeah. And uh, and now that I know that it's okay to dream and it's okay to fail, I think I'm on uh, whatever trajectory I, I need to be on.
0: And, you know, that's it's very interesting uh, by way of a personal biography. It's a – when I was younger, adults thought I was very impressive. And just because <laughs> – I didn't uh, I, because I talked to adults like they were my age. Because you're not better than me. Um, it was, it, there was definitely a prideful element in my in my attitude, but um, but yeah, just the way I carried myself and some of the talents that I had. Like adults, like I had a teacher write a paper about me once. It was very strange, um, and so uh, and so yeah, I was I was definitely encouraged to dream when I was younger because everybody was so sure that I would achieve that dream and the, and that's great. But the downside of it is, you know, you get older and like, just cause you have the dream doesn't mean you're going to achieve it right away or even in the way that you think. And it's Ooh. definitely been a, a hard thing for me because when I was young, they said I was very special and maybe that's true, but being special isn't enough. It's not going to guarantee that you're going to do great all the time. And it's, and so failure is something that I'm sure it's, very common in this city, but like failure is uh, something that uh, I still have a hard time with because yeah, I feel I, like I'm completely irredeemable if I fail at like a specific thing.
1: Right. Well, the world teaches that. God and family and friends aren't supposed to teach that. Yeah. Uh, we are all special, but how you define special is uh, is right. what will be your your rise or downfall. I'm reading a book called "Goliath Must Fall" by Louis Giglio. If that's how I'm pronouncing it correctly, I um, hope so. He, uh, there's a moment in this book where he mentions Instagram, and he's talking about uh, Instagram is not a place where someone shows their worst zit or the fact that they ate uh, cheap one dollar cheeseburger. They're <laughs> right. showing you when they ran into uh, Drake, uh, no. uh, you know, or they're showing you their their favorite outfit that they look smashing in, or whatever. Yeah. So there's this thing where we are told that we are. Special because of those moments and mm-hmm. that our highlights our highlight reel should be our daily reel. Yeah, and it's like Frickin no. Yeah, like that is not realistic. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have to love yourself uh, All the time not just in those highlight yeah. moments So I would say that you are special is my point. Oh, thank you And, very much. Uh, and I think you are and believe you are and I hope you do and um and I think it's special that you've been married for 13 years, because that's a dream of mine, mm-hmm. and I have not uh, even dated for 13 days, let alone been <laughs> married 13 years. Yeah. So uh, that's something that could serve to make me feel less than and not special, but I sure. choose to not believe that. Um, yeah. and, and I look forward to the day where I can meet my misses. puts up with Riddlers on the wall. <laughs>
0: Okay. Here's why, here's one of the reasons I had all these riddlers. (laughs) I like complimented you and then ended on (laughs) this like
1: stupid. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm just having to self deprecate you under the ground.
0: Um, no, it's fine. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, ultimately as you, you've commented on my, my Blu-ray wall, which uh, is beautiful by the way. Thank you. Uh, but my, my wife many years ago said, she's like, I'm tired of buying you movies for like Christmas and your birthday. She's like, you're like, is there anything (laughs) else you want? I was like, "Uh, I don't know. And I realized like, I mean, people collect things. Maybe they'll just collect something. And I recognize that Love movies it. are a collection, but they're one that they're practical in my mind. Cause you're engaging with them. Oh, of course. But like, you can to, lend them out. You yeah. can watch them on a rainy day. Of course. But like if you're collecting stamps, you're not using the stamps. You just have them. No. So it's like, what if I just wanted to start collecting something and slowly, but surely I was like, okay, what about toys? It's like, well, okay, that's big. What kind of toys? All right, here we go. More and more specific. And then I arrived at the, I was like, how about Batman toys? Well, there's a billion of those. Okay, how about Batman villains? Well, there's still a billion. It's like, okay, I'm going to have to pick a villain. It's yeah. like, well, I do adore the Riddler. And uh, and so that's what I decided on. So I did it oh, precisely that. so that my wife would have other things to buy me. I don't think she expected it to be this. I don't think she knew it was going to get quite so out of hand.
1: Also, like, it depends on how we define what cool is. The reality is there are men and women who daily check the NASDAQ and Dow and like sure. their whole life is like, how can I make a buck and how can I yeah. accumulate pieces of common wealth that are looked upon as, you know, yeah. uh, special or whatever the heck. Uh, this is, this will be looked at as nerdy by many people, but I think, <laughs> it, I think it's really fun. And, uh, and, and I think it's just as cool as anybody else's thing, in my opinion. So
0: in your collection of WWE, toys and which, action figures, which are many. That's embarrassing. Do I travel you? with them. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Literally. Is that actually true? Yeah. W- which ones do you
1: travel with? Oh, a bunch. Okay. I got like <laughs> 16 with, with not today, but like with me, uh, as I travel hotel to hotel for movie gigs and stuff, I, <laughs> I set them up in poses or I play with them when I'm trying to think or work or yeah, no, totally.
0: I'm, I'm way into it. I'm a big kid. Did you, Now, these are the wrestling figures I had when I was a kid where it's just these big, like, rubber, like... Yeah, those are the
1: LJNs. Yeah. It was just like, uh, the iron Sheik raising his fist with the big mustache.
0: Exactly. Yes. Uh,
1: mine are like very posable. You can do like all these cool moves and okay. stuff. Yeah. They're uh, made by Mattel, the same company that makes Barbies. Uh, if that, have you watched you into... that Netflix show, the, the toys that made us? I have, I saw, I saw the star Wars one. I might've watched one other one, but they're, that's a terrific series. Yeah. That's it's so it's, entertaining. It's
0: very helpful. One of my favorite moments is something I literally can't say on this show because it involves profanity and that's the exact moment. That's the, exact thing I like about this moment, which is when the guy, when a guy's talking about He-Man and just being so dismissive of people's objections. But again, I can't
1: repeat. Oh, they're just, they're just like uh violently, uh, uh,
0: uh, opinionated on some, yeah. something. Yeah. We're just like, I'll, I'll censor it. But a guy is just like, well, we, we've got this big tiger, but you'll notice that like it's way too big for heat for He-Man, you know, it looks as big as a horse. And a guy said, I don't give a blank, uh, that it's as big as a horse, put a blanking saddle on it. <laughs> and oh, and then they did. That's right. And then they there did was the a saddle, saddle
1: on the tiger for that. Yeah. Dude, that's like my earliest memory playing with toys. I had a babysitter who had all the human. I was like mm-hmm. three years old and I was, pl- I remember playing with that weird cloth bodied, uh, ho- uh, tiger, the size of a horse. Remember
0: the bodies oh, yeah, like yeah, yeah, those yeah. felt
1: very like cheap and clothy and weird and Yeah, and
0: it's because they recycled them from a different toilet. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's uh, not surprising. <laughs> but cuz they're sucking on these things like <laughs> rolling on them, know, this dropping them be. on the basement floor. <laughs>
0: yeah, oh, I played with uh, toys from the real ghostbusters, uh, that the, the oh cartoon and it, it, there was just, it, it all came, everything came with slime and I was, it was a nightmare for my mom. Cause it was just like, up. Oh, it's in the carpet again. Great. Oh,
1: and that, and that is where the phrase you kids go play outside. <laughs> Casey, came yeah. There's no carpet outside. <laughs> we are safe. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I love that. I know about the Riddler thing. When's your birthday?
0: February 25th.
1: Okay, that's a ways away. So maybe for maybe if hopefully I'll see you around the holidays I'll, I'll find you some sort of Riddler memorabilia <laughs> as a gift. Uh and uh and we can nerd out together. That'll Dave be nice. Dave Batista who's a tough guy and a celebrity collects lunch boxes.
0: So there that's you the go. most adorable thing I've ever heard. Yeah, there's a Look lot of lunchboxes out there. Look up Dave there. Batista
1: lunchboxes. There's photos of his collection. It's yeah. a, it's a outlandish.
0: Uh, yeah, one of our former guests on this show, Corbin Burnson. Uh, I went to his office to interview him for a paper I was writing, and it's it's an office like there are like five offices within it, and then there's one room that's just for his snow globes. Wow. <laughs> like, and it is he's aging himself. There. It's crazy. But anyway, all right. Well, enough talking about our fun enough. hobbies. Um, Paul, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. You, we talked about a lot of stuff uh, that's near
1: and dear to me. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, where can people find you online? Instagram is at P.W. P-W-H-A-U-S-E-R. And then Twitter, I think, is at Paul W. Houser. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah. I post on Instagram all the time. Very disturbing videos. Pictures right. of me with Greg Kinnear, pictures of me shirtless in bed, doing a character when I wake up in the morning, pictures of the bulletins at the Lutheran churches. I attend yeah.
0: <laughs> Lutheran churches. Like you just kind of make the rounds in I the make city. The rounds.
1: <laughs> no, I go to a non-denominational, usually reality LA off yeah. Wilton and Hollywood. That's my jam. But, uh, when I'm out of town and I need to find a church service somewhere, no, sounds like an AA meeting when I need to go to a, <laughs> exactly. get to a meeting, uh, <laughs> I, I find a Lutheran church, and they're hit or miss. Some of them are very robotic yeah. and terrifying. And I went to a we uh, worship the Lord <laughs> of and I'm just like, what the heck are we doing? <laughs> the Holy Spirit is not present. Um, and then other other ones are really terrific. Other ones are great. <laughs> all right. Well, now you've blown out my microphone.
0: I'm so sorry by yelling at Lutherans. all the Lutheran. <laughs> I am. I am Lutheran in my bones. We're okay. Um, all right, so uh, thank you everybody for listening. Paul, once again, thank you for being here, and we'll get you next time. Bye.